Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. I like to say that it's a policy idea that's never failed because it's never been tried, but we're here trying to make that happen and build a nationwide network of info districts so that we can create a new marketplace for community-driven local news and information, local levels, but also at this national level. The holy grail of digital journalism is financial sustainability. If you can pull that off, especially at a local news startup that serves diverse communities, then you've really accomplished something. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Simon Galperin is the founding director of the Community Information Cooperative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to making journalism and media more representative of the people they serve, which is a topic that we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Simon, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you for having me, Michael. So first of all, we were talking a little bit before we turned to the mics about some of the people you know, that, you know, people like Josh Stearns, somebody who has been on the podcast before. And I saw that also, you know, going through the emails, uh, when I was looking back to put together my notes for the interview, you showed up in a lot of links from uh, the American Press Institute, which is one of our friends. So I think you're involved in a lot of the type of journalism that we are interested in covering. So tell me, you know, how'd you get interested in journalism and this particular track? So before becoming a journalist, I was an EMT and an outdoor trip facilitator. I had always wanted to be a journalist. My father is a writer, a media maker, producer, was an editor of a local Russian language newspaper for a while. My mother actually has roots as an actress and in acting. So I I think that performance and, and sort of media making was something that's in my blood. And then I went to Rutgers University in New Brunswick to get my bachelor's in journalism. I had a vision of becoming a foreign correspondent. I saw myself in khakis and a black polo in front of a refugee camp telling it like it is. (laughs) And so to do that, I studied Arabic in Jordan. I traveled a lot. I spent time in Morocco and Kenya, a lot of time on cultural anthropology, political science, building up a skill set that I thought would be useful when I one day joined CNN and got sent to Syria. That didn't work out. Uh And I'm very, very thankful for it because there's so much more work that needs to be done here in the United States to change media outcomes around the world. So I'm eager that my early career aspirations did not work out and that I am where I am now, mostly from uh, an upbringing really that came from the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism, now the Newmark Graduate School of Journalism and their social journalism program, which really changed my life, really changed the trajectory of my life and my career. I wouldn't be here without them. So early shout out on the podcast, the Newmark Graduate School of Journalism, their social journalism program has spots open in the fall. If that's okay, Mike, if I could do that plug right off the bat, it really is a, a remarkable program. And I, if, if, if anyone turns off now, at the very least, they got to hear that pitch. So that's what brought me here. Another Cooney person. No, uh, you know, we've had a couple of uh, people from that program on the podcast. You mentioned social journalism. That and obviously community journalism and movement journalism are a lot of things that we've been talking about recently on the podcast. Before we sort of go into specifics of what uh, your co-op is doing, you sort of laid out your history and the path that you thought you were going to take. And now you're in a, on a different path that you think is, is really kind of valuable. What do you, what do you see the, the problems that you're you know, hoping to address with, with what you're doing now? 
through the co-op, I'm trying to address the local news journalism crisis at a variety of levels, policy level, sort of an organizing level, and then really on the ground, like building something from scratch. What does it look like to build a 21st century local news organization from the ground up? And, you know, that's just not that sort of focus on problem solving, that sort of focus on infrastructure building is not what a traditional journalism upbringing or a traditional journalism education gets you. And those are the areas that I'm working on today that I'm really, really just uh, at some point, and I'm not a, I'm not a religious guy, but it at some point does feel spiritual because it just connects so much with me and it connects so much with the people I think of as my peers and my allies and the people I look up to. So yeah, that's some of the stuff I do day to day, you know, variety of tasks day to day, but yeah. Tell me what, what led to the founding of the Community Information Cooperative? Sure. So at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism in their social journalism program, now the Engaged Journalism Program, after some rebranding, I had a assignment due in Professor Jeremy Kaplan's class. He's at the Town Knight Center there. And I needed to pitch a product. And I hadn't done the assignment. <laughs> and I had this wonderful idea in my head that I'd been talking about with my friend, Joe M. Ditas, who's at the Center for Cooperative Media at Montclair State University, and was a classmate with me at the time for a publicly funded local news organization. We were trying to solve that structural problem that says, for some reason, there's not enough revenue to do this thing. We have to figure out what the thing is, sure, but we also have to solve for the revenue. And advertising isn't going to do it individual donations isn't going to be enough audience revenue, as you call it. So what are other alternatives? I had this idea for info districts inspired by the way student media is funded at Rutgers University. And I pitched that in class and it went over really, really, really well. And I got to go to the online news association conference in 2016 in Denver that year and pitch it at an unconference there. And from there, what became the Info Districts Project grew over a few years. We received a fellowship from the Reynolds Journalism Institute at the University of Missouri to do our white paper, to do our guide, you know, really research this. How do, how do we launch an Info District? What does it look like? And then we had to find somewhere to house all that work and the associated work, because I think that is just one, one piece of our solution bucket or whatever, solutions portfolio for solving the issues we're facing today in our democracy. The community info co-op grew around the info districts project. It was our chief initiative. It is our chief initiative. And then we've added, you know, things along the way. So what is a info district? You know, what does that look like in a newsroom sense? Sure. So an info district is a special improvement district. It's a structure that exists throughout the United States. It's similar to a library district or a business improvement district. There are fire districts. There are water districts. There are mosquito abatement districts. There are airports and hospitals funded by this structure. So we thought, why not replicate that? And let's use that to fund this other public good, this other public service, which is local news and information. So it's, I like to say that it's a policy idea that's never failed because it's never been tried, but we're here trying to make that happen and build a nationwide network of info districts so that we can create a new marketplace for community-driven local news and information, excuse me, at local levels, but also at this national level through you know, a nationwide network through the community info co-op. So just so I understand this, sort of what you're talking about here, 
is if we have, say, you know, well, Washington, D.C. As a, as a city, not as a, the capital of the, the country, is very demarked area. So we put a rope around that, and that's going to be the info district. I, I, I sort of, I guess I understand the idea of you're creating these districts, but as sort of a, the structure with which you're going to be able to finance these things. How do you, you know, where does the money come from? How do you sort of make that happen? Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'll take ourselves, I'll take us out of DC because it's very politicized. <laughs> no, but that's a good, I mean, every place in my mind, every place should have what I ca I'm calling an info district what others can imagine in different ways. But if we take my, uh, my hometown of Bloomfield, uh, New Jersey, my hometown where I live today in Bloomfield, New Jersey, where I run the Bloomfield Information Project, which is our public service journalism lab at the Community Info Co-op, trying to take this, these lofty ideas about info districts and put them into practice, put them in, like, what does it look like to build from scratch and create with? Um, create with our community to serve their needs. They have, for an example, an open space trust fund. And that what that means is that the properties in the town get taxed at, I think the average is about $20 per property. And that money gets pulled together. And then there's a committee that oversees it that helps the town purchase open space, purchase and maintain open space. So new parks are built this way, developments that were gonna turn, could be turned into high rises might be taken over and pedestrian plazas might be built there. So there's this existing structure for civic investment in this like public good that exists in a place like Bloomfield and throughout the United States, right? It's a similar concept. The governance structure is ultimately different and the way it is uh, put into uh, being is different. Um, where with an info district, because of the sensitivity of local news and information as a public good, I think that it's important for there to be a, not only just a community campaign in which people get input into the design of the legislation into the design of the organization, but then they get to decide to tax themselves to fund it. In a place like Bloomfield, if you taxed, you know, every household, every person in the community at 10 bucks a year, that will give us a $500,000 a year operating budget. Um, what we could accomplish, what, uh, what, what I think a community run organization would accomplish with a budget that, that, is, that that's, I don't know whether you want to call it small or big, but with that budget is, I think, would completely change the future of Bloomfield would change the future of Essex County, would change the future of countless businesses in our community, would change, would improve public health, would increase access to information, would increase voter turnout. Like having an organization dedicated to encouraging civic engagement by using journalism, training, education, and organizing, like that's what we need in our communities nowadays. And to fund that, ad dollars aren't going to do it. So we have to really think imaginatively about what sort of public infrastructure we could build to make that happen. So at its face, right, it is a tax levy per, you know, we can determine where it comes from that is pulled together. And then the community gets to decide what to do with it through a variety of governance mechanisms, whether it's their board, whether it's, you know, the daily production, because it's community members doing the reporting, that, that, that's where sort of the, the, the rubber meets the road in terms of what it looks like in operations from a high level. Is what you're describing, to me, it sounds like what you're describing is something similar to public television or even, you know, the way they fund the BBC in Britain. Everybody pays a service fee. 
but you call it a tax. I mean, is that exactly what you're you're saying? Is that each municipality should invoke a you know a ten dollar tax on its citizens in order to fund journalism? In most communities in the United States, governments are already spending public dollars on communications. The first thing I would call for if I had some blanket authority is that all of those public communication dollars be like reviewed and thoughtfully reappropriated to community local news and information projects. We could see the success of something like the Center for Community Media at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism in New York, their campaign last year to get the city to invest its advertising dollars in local non-English language media or local ethnic media, however you want to call it. It's critical to to the revenue and sort of sustainability of those organizations. It also helps the city get past the barriers they traditionally have to communication with those populations. So I think at the very least, every community in the United States, every government in the United States needs to review how they're spending existing public dollars on local news and information and make sure it's community driven so that it's meeting community needs. And and I'll just give you a couple more layers here. If there is a place that can sustain an effective local news organization, which we could talk about that, they don't need an info district. Right. If the local government's doing their job about getting civic information out. If not, I think that there should be an info district there. You could do township, you could do municipalities, you could do countywide info districts, depending on, you know, making sure you're able to broaden that tax base, broaden the amount of people who can participate and get involved in, and direct this new news and information service. And if that doesn't work, because that does not work in some places, we really need to be looking at state level funding. We need to be looking at how philanthropy is directing their dollars to the places where it's needed most. And that's some of the you know other work we're doing at the Community Info Co-op too. But that in terms of what should people be doing today, I think the, at the very least, if, if you have a public communications budget, you should be taking a look at how it's being spent. So, you know, there are certainly people who you know, see a lot of the issues that you you're, you see, a lot of the issues that journalists are really concerned about, you know, uh, politically divided America, you know, news deserts, etc. And a lot of what they're blaming things on are is the media, that the media is, you know, too political, it, you know, or it's not engaging with the public, you know, how does what you're sort of proposing, sort of deal with that? Absolutely. So The first thing I would say is that we have to make a distinction between national media and local media. And then in local media, we have to make a distinction between corporate media and sort of independent media. And then even there, it's, it gets even murkier because of the way nonprofits are structured and who, you know, who could launch a nonprofit and whether or not it's, they can, might, might have political ties or whether a, for, a private for-profit organization is used mostly as a tool for revenue for folks, but is perceived as a local news organization in the community, right? So we make all those distinctions. And then I point to what, like, what the public wants. We did some polling with Data for Progress at the start of early on in the pandemic to discuss what are some of the ways they'd like to see local news and journalism get funded right now, right? There's this acute need for local news and information. People were governors and governors and uh, elected officials were talking about how critical local news outlets have been to their public health initiatives. So Data for Progress asked around for us, of the three items we asked about, which were info districts, increases in funding to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, uh, doubling in funding to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, 
or a just emergency relief to local news organizations, InfoDistricts comes out on top. And as a matter of fact, InfoDistrict is the only sort of policy proposal that has majority support. 62% of people support it, 71% of Democrats, 56% of Republicans, 68% of Black folks, 62% of white folks. So I think that this idea actually makes a lot of sense to folks when you talk about it, like funding of your local news organization, like you fund your local library. And that's, I think people want that localism, people want that connection, and that's how we address the way you described it, that, that political conflict or that uh, partisan conflict, partisan divide we might have in the United States. How do you ensure against it being something that is politicized, that becomes an organ for a particular uh, political party that has control of the legislature or the local government? Hopefully people are listening can bear with us on this policy because it's dry, but business improvement, rather improvement district rules around the United States vary and they're different in every place. In New Jersey, special districts are established either by a legislative body or by referendum. And there's like a, a process that gets that you undergo, you determine what the governing board should look like, you determine who gets to appoint people to the governing board, should there be representatives from certain sectors of our community. And then in New Jersey, the mayor and council then largely have, you know, they don't have a ton of say over the daily operations of the thing. They have some budgetary oversight, but ultimately, because it has its own dedicated funding structure, the mayor and council can't really do much about it. So I think that this structure, you know, we should always be asking these questions, but we should also be understanding that existing institutions, whether they are private, nonprofit, public media, also are privy to the you know political whims. And what we need to be doing is building structures that aren't. And I think the way we do that is we build structures that are governed publicly, governed locally. And that's the way we maximize for public service. As soon as you begin to remove some oversight, remove accountability from a local community, I think you begin to see disservice appear. And this is a common conversation when we talk about corporate media, right? That have moved out of the communities they serve and you see a disinvestment happen in those local communities. This is the solution to change that. Like we're literally saying we're going to reinvest in local community. So any federal dollars, any big, you know, solutions that exist. There's I know there's a coalition of organizations moving something through Congress, trying to get something through Congress for local news. But any of that money, I really think needs to be going directly to the hands of regular people so they can be making decisions about what their news and information needs are and how their local service providers are meeting them. Are you looking for just local funding or is the, you know, because the corporation of um, public broadcasting, I mean, they, there is some local funding for that, but it's also subsidized by the federal government. I mean, is that, is that sort of a model model that you, you think would work? What I would love to see a, you know, inverted sort of, if you want to call it corporation for public broadcasting, all of the money is bubbling up from the, all the month, all of the money and decisions are bubbling up from the bottom, from the grassroots. And then there's a national organization. In my vision, it's the Community Info Co-op, but I'm, I'm tied to the mission, less the branding. And yes, so if you want to think about what does it look like at a national level, I think that you know National Public Radio or PBS are, or Corp- the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, those structures are similar to what, what we envision, but not exactly, right? Because of the structure of their governance and the money comes from 
the money and decisions come from the top down. But there's always room for, you know, you mentioned public TV earlier, cable franchise fees. My community in Bloomfield, I think, makes gets upwards of $500,000 a year in cable franchise fees. And that mostly goes to the general budget, as far as I understand. And then a small proportion of that goes to, you know, actually maintaining our local cable access stations and whatever videos of city government counts, municipal meetings, et cetera. If we could take that, you know, that's already a dedicated stream that was created specifically to fund civic information. So like there are other, whether federal or local um, revenue streams that we could be tapping into, right? You don't need to just start taxing folks. You can just show up and say, hey, we're actually just start by building with what we have. And you said that you're, you're in, in New Jersey, you're, you're already sort of starting some of this, you know, is there been progress in this? So in New, New Jersey is my, uh, the great state of New Jersey is my, is my, is where, is where I live, is, is where I grew up. Um, I was born in Russia, actually, so I'm an immigrant, but I, I grew up here and we're focused on building in New Jersey because there's so much momentum for local news here, driven by the success, I think, of free press action funds push for the civic information bill, the creation of the civic information consortium here, which is a state uh, government, which is a, which is a state created nonprofit organization, which receives state funds to support local news and information projects around, around New Jersey. It just did its first set of grants. I'm one of its inaugural grantees for our work at the Bloomfield information project, where we're going to be building out a community reporter core, thinking about, you know, drawing on my experience as an EMT, thinking about what does it look like to train people to perform these vital public needs at the grassroots level. So that's why we're here in New Jersey. In terms of the actual info district process, this is, you know, we're, I'm five years into a 10 year process. So that's I keep trying to remind myself of, we have some legis we have a, a, a legal analysis that was published last year or, or two years ago now about the New Jersey's improvement district rules and how they could be used to create an info district. So we're in the clear there in terms of its possibility here. Uh, but we're we're in Bloomfield, for example, we're taking a slow climb. You know, we're we're thinking about what are public rev what are service revenue opportunities. So whether that is working with existing organizations to do, you know, to make media for them or do training, or you know, in a consulting capacity, the way you know you think about direct services providers, but also service providing to the local government. Does the health department have opportunities we could support them with? The town count, you know, the town has a local newsletter that they send out every once in a while. Can we produce that for the same amount of money that's being right? The same can we can we take that same amount of money that's being used, that's being contracted out to produce what we believe, what I see as a product that is ripe for growth. And can we use that money to do better? And so we're thinking about public contracts. We're thinking about special improvement districts, like what does it look like to launch an info district here? And you know, it's we're building a slow. It's it's a slow moment, right? Your five your slow movement. It's your five of a ten year process. But we also have really interesting um, uh, partnership alliances with folks in California, folks in Colorado, in Michigan, Minnesota, New York, Boston. North Carolina, where like my goal at this point in our work with info districts is to seed the idea. I want to see it spread. I don't care if I'm the first one to launch one. I want to see it happen so we can see what it looks like, see what we can learn and so we can grow further. So, you know, what does the news outlet look like that you sort of envision? Because, 
some of the things that people have been talking about are sort of specialized newsrooms, you newsrooms that are, you know, focus on covering a crime beat or, or a newsroom focus on just like the, the local government, you know, something like City Beat, where you're, you're taking a particular segment of the society of government and community and sort of focusing on that, just municipal coverage. I know that one of the things that people talk about with the loss of uh, local news coverage is the loss of local political coverage, the loss of uh, elections and, you know, how governments are spending money. Are you thinking, envisioning sort of a a traditional newsroom that that has a lot of different products? Are you looking at those things that maybe, you know, this is going to be covering, you know, the city council and, you know, the budget and the way things are going to be covered? So I think the flexibility of the model is that it can cover whatever people need. I think there are some communities where maybe maybe there is an existing, you know, news organization that does cover city government pretty well. And somebody might say, hey, I need a text message service that tells me when the train isn't arriving, or I need a daily newsletter. In the case of Bloomfield and our work with the Bloomfield Information Project is I need a daily newsletter that runs down everything happening in town for me. In Bloomfield, we used to have the record family of papers used to have a paper here that that got bought up by Gannett. And over the years, it's just been disinvested in as the local news crisis has grown. We have an independent family-owned paper here in Bloomfield called the Independent Press. It's primarily print product. And then we have, you know, our local government publishing, local businesses, Facebook groups. There's basically, what I'm trying to say is there's no way for somebody who doesn't have, you know, a dedicated job to review all the local news and information happening in our community who can possibly stay informed and connected here. So in Bloomfield, the first thing we heard at our one of our listening sessions was all that information that's everywhere. I can't pay attention, pay attention. There's no chance for me to stay informed and connected. So our daily aggregate news product, Daily Bulletin, solves that for folks. And we've built a, like an innovative workflow that allows us to you know, source from more than 200 sources of information to deliver a daily newsletter with like 16 to 18 news summaries in a place that was formerly considered a news desert. And I think that that sort of innovation is what public service orientation can unlock. I think that in general, I think it does look like covering city government the way documenters and city bureau in Chicago do it. I think it looks like training and capacity building, teaching people to make local news and media. I think it is community driven investigative reporting. And there are different ways all of those things evolve, but it really does all start with what do people need? Should every place launch their daily bu- a daily bulletin? Yes, I think so. I think in all likelihood, every place needs a newsletter. But what comes next is I think that that's the opportunity to really think about this radically and think about what collaborations look like with the schools, with colleges and other keystone institutions. I could definitely see this fitting with certain of the new models of digital news that are going on right now. I think for much longer than I think than we, we really needed to have, people were trying to recreate, you know, the weekly community newspaper, the daily community newspaper, you know, what that was, you know, the many different parts of it that had been created over the years that really aren't speaking to, you know, the the public as it is in our current time where what you described, where somebody is getting so much information, you know, the information's out there, but, you know, how do you aggregate it? How do you pull it together? So 
This is really interesting. I would not go to the point where I said that I'm skeptical about it because I think I'm, I'm a little bit beyond it being skeptical because I do think that there, there are applications where this probably could work. So you say that you're, you're five years into this. Where do you hope to be in five years? So I think that I'd love to see a first, the first info district here in New Jersey, whether that looks like something that is funded via a, a tax levy, a property tax levy, or some other form of funding, whether it's reappropriation of that public funding of those public funding dollars or a, an expansion of those public funding dollars, like really letting us leverage all of the money that's coming into our communities for public access and civic information. I'd love to see a publicly funded local news operation everywhere else. I mean, I think that the benefit to the country as a whole or to regions as a whole, when more of these collaborative community-driven news organizations emerge is that you begin to think about cost sharing, you begin to talk about collaboration and resource resource sharing in places where you don't really have, you know, the only benefit is rather there's no loss to collaboration like there is in some places, right? You're covering that geography, you're covering that geography, but we both need to cover the county seat. So now we're talking about an entire, you know, coalition of North Jersey info districts focusing on covering local news and information in North Jersey. And that, you know, creates a, a more informed, you know, robust network of communities. It supports other more, you know, you want to call them professional or non-publicly funded news organizations who can now tap into those local news wires in there on all of those places, have connections with those people, be able to do better journalism because they have better access to the people who are most served by it. So why not in North Carolina? Why not in Michigan? Why not in California? Why not in Missouri? Why not in Texas, right? Why not in the Dakotas? There, there is, are plenty of people who know the value. We just did a booth for Juneteenth and I was pitching someone who's here, sign up for our daily newsletter if you want some free ice cream or free ginger punch. And she's like, I get enough news newsletters. I get enough in the email. I was like, no, this is local news about Bloomfield. Like, oh, all right, well, that's different. And that is the conversation that I think hundreds of journalists are having around the country and they just do not have the capital they need to leverage those relationships and build that new infrastructure and make the places they live better, more informed, more equipped, more engaged, more resilient, as we say at the Bloomfield Information Project. So we need to give them that capital. Philanthropy is not going to do it. If existing institutions aren't going to do it, I really think we have to talk about unlocking those community dollars, unlocking those public dollars in a substantial way because what's good for democracy is good for journalism. And I think that's the vision we're working with here. And we're trying to create these info districts, these places where democracy and democratic participation is the impact. So that's what they focus on. That's what they work towards using local news, information, journalism, engaging, organizing, et cetera. Simon, this has been kind of fascinating. You know, keep in touch, you know, let us know if there's any in you know updates to this or changes. I'd love to check back with you in a, in a couple of years and, and see how where you're at. I'll be here. Okay. Hopefully we'll be, we will be as well. Simon, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. 
You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsaljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>